Hi, my name is Dominique, and together with my team, we produce the content for our weekly Swisspreneur episodes. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Asia's got such a great potential, and they're really moving ahead fast. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Very well, welcome back to the second episode of the Swisspreneur Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you again. It's a pleasure on my side. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about the topic of expanding your business to Asia. And I want to start with the first question about mistakes. So what mistakes do you see Swiss companies making repeatedly when it comes to expanding their business to Asia? I think they make less and less mistakes because uh, because uh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of consult, consult, uh, consulting going on. But I think the biggest mistake probably a lot of companies still make is when they're entering Asia, they're, they're not managing it. They have to make sure, let's put it this way, they have to make sure they do the expectation management properly. Because, you know, after six to eight to, to 12 or 18 months, everybody on the board has forgotten that it's still a startup. And then they start questioning whether it's the right place to be or whether you should, you should, you should pull out together. I think that question has to be raised up front. And also to be, you know, to, that is something which I probably cannot highlight enough because, but really to get to dig into the cultural issues because I think, I mean, Asia it has uh, different Asian countries have different uh, different cultures, same as we in Europe have different cultures, but the the, the differences between a collective or uh, society and an in, individual society are really huge. That, so that's that has to be um, has to be managed. And I think if you if you really make sure that you you have um, you know something about your culture, and you're interested in your culture, in in, in, in the culture of a, of a company. Then, it's, then it makes it a lot easier. And also to get proper consulting. I mean, there are a lot of experts on the ground, and also in Switzerland, like Switzerland Global Enterprise, or in our company, we do it. And uh, I think there's this. I think you really have to get that expertise before you move in, yeah. and then making sure you're sending the right team. And also, as soon as possible, making sure that you build up uh, with uh, with local employees. Yeah. So basically, get clear about the expectation management and also prepare well for the cultural differences mm-hmm. and everything else that is uh, attached to that. What role does the financial power play? Because I can imagine building a new market, especially in Asia, something that you're completely unfamiliar with, most likely, mm-hmm. takes probably more time than you would anticipate and probably also costs quite some money. So yeah. what role does the financial power play? It's like everywhere, you know, it costs double, double the money you, you wanted to invest yeah. and it takes double the time. And it, it really is true because uh, I think if you want to build up a brand new market, which is so totally different, then you really have to make sure that you have enough financial muscles in order to build the comp- in order to build up the company and not uh, if if you just say well that's my limitation and if it doesn't work after two or three years i pull out again then i would discourage a company from from moving into such a place let's now talk about the asian market you personally built singapore for example also hong kong for the ubs uh, translation services there mm-hmm. locally what, what is so impressive for you? Why is Asia actually important and not as we currently are focused on North America, for example? I would nowadays would move first into Asia and then into North America. Wow. Why, <laughs> I mean, why? Because I think, you know, uh, I mean, Asia's got such a great potential and they're really moving ahead fast. They're highly entrepreneurial, especially Chinese, they're highly entrepreneurial. 
and uh, they're moving ahead very, very fast compared to the West that has become kind of uh, complacent to some extent, especially Europe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, people have everything on their, on their plate and in Asia they still have to, to struggle to some extent uh, to build up companies. So uh, the speed is really impressive there. Yeah, and that's that's per, that's for me personally uh, something which I really found thrilling. I mean, you know, I, I'm always coming from Asia, always came back, uh, surely also in the future, will come back totally energized, new, with new ideas, motivated, and things are moving very fast. And especially then when you when you when you were uh, talking to head office, they sometimes don't understand why they're moving so fast and why they want everything at the same time. But you know, we saw that uh, with uh, serious communications. Well, when, I mean. Our IT department said, well, why do they need uh, two screens open? You know, if they don't answer within 10 or 20 minutes, the, the order is gone right. to, to the competitor. So we have to do something. Um, and that's an interesting environment to be in as a company. Yeah. Probably also very challenging and tough at the yeah, same time. Stressful, yeah. but yeah. on the other hand, also huge opportunities that lay in yeah. front of you. Yeah, that's true. That's right. So then, of course, you've seen many parts of Asia, and the question comes up, where in Asia should we actually go and move with your business? I think that really depends on the products or services you're offering. Then one market might lend itself better than the other. Mm-hmm. If you want to be more or less go on, on, on the safe side, I would suggest you could start with, uh, with Singapore, have a small, a small, small uh, organization in Singapore, because... Mm-hmm. You know, the former former president wanted to position Singapore as Switzerland of Asia, and he really right. managed to do that. Right. As a safe haven, it's a, it's 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 kind of a. We we usually say uh, Singapore is kind of a, um, Asia for beginners. <laughs> <laughs> so then, that's a good starting point, I guess. It is. We actually built up Singapore and Hong Kong at the same time, so in parallel. And then the year afterwards, we started off with uh, with Shanghai and then Beijing. And Shanghai was actually the main operation in, in, in Asia when it came to translations. And Singapore had more than we had translators down there, but it was also sales. And uh, and you have usually have if you go to Asia, you usually have to be in different places. One place usually is not enough. So what would be a good mix there? If you start with Singapore, should you also go for Hong Kong and then China, or what is a good mix from your perspective? That is, as I said, it's, it depends on the services and the products you're having. Or you might also start in directly in mainland China, but it's it, it mainland China is 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 a tough marketplace. Why? What makes it so difficult? It's it's a huge market, but it's it's totally different uh, from, for instance, uh, Singapore or Hong Kong. Singapore and Hong Kong are more more organized, more to, more yeah, for us more approachable. Than, than China. So also close to, to the to the Western mentality or the a way of bit, doing things. A little bit. They, they do it differently, but it's it's closer. Closer yeah. in China. Yeah. But eventually you you want to go to China because it's such a huge and also mm-hmm. attractive and rapidly growing market. So when would actually China make sense and when does it not make sense? I think China makes sense if you if the products and services you're offering if they uh, if they um, if they are required on the market. And for us, it was important because, you know, if you work for global companies, then they want you to cover the Asian market as well. Otherwise, you lose your European business or your US business. Right. Especially for, yeah, for, for, global, for global contracts, for global tenders, you need to be in all, in all places. Mm-hmm. 
We talked about timing in the first episode. Also, here timing is important. So, mm -hmm. is there a certain like is there a right timing to to move to Asia with your business, or is there also anything is moving there too soon or too early? I think what you could do, for instance, what a company can do, they can do a market check a check up with uh, with the, for their readiness for expansion, no matter to which to which country, and uh, that is offered by Swiss Global Enterprise. Nice. The, I guess, like, I think this is a, a state or government-backed mm -hmm. uh, organization, but you still have to pay for certain services, obviously. So do you know if there are a certain price tag that you could budget for such an assessment? Oh, yes. But that, I, I, I would have to check back with them because, you know, I was serving on their board of directors for 12 years and uh, and uh, they have they have price tags. Of course, I think the first hour is free of charge and then afterwards you pay for it. But right. I, I, did, I did the market check for... Our com a review for our company in, in Dubai with them, and that was very, very reasonable. Okay, yeah, for, for sense. For, for Nesson, it's reasonable. Yeah. And what do you look at there in, in such an assessment? So but what speaks for, okay, it's a good time to move there, and what speaks against that to, to move to Asia? I think it depends on, uh, on on the management team whether 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 the management team is ready to for expansion whether 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 they have the necessary skills for uh, for internationalization. It's also a question of their of their finances. Can they really afford? Can they really afford risks? Because you know if it suddenly costs double as much as you planned, does the company go bankrupt or can can they can they um, survive with it? Right. That's the kind of thing you have to check. Yeah. yeah. I know this is incredibly difficult to answer, but is there like a certain minimum from your experience where you say, if you want to expand to Asia, that's like the least that you have to expect to to have at, at least a certain likelihood of, of uh, success? Uh, that really depends. I was uh, consulting one company uh, and uh, advising one company and they were uh, they wanted to have an intercultural um, uh, program for, from, from us and, and, mm. and doing business in Singapore. And that company was strikingly successful right up front. Wow! You know, you, you can you can be you can you can have a lucky punch yeah. <laughs> and get successful right up front, or then you have to build it up from scratch. True. And the second one takes way more time. In that takes one. way more time. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Now let's also say, okay, you made the decision to go to Asia with your business. What should you look out for? Assuming that the assessment of global enterprise, Switzerland global enterprise, went well. You now want to take the plunge and move to, mm -hmm. to the Asian markets. What do you do? What do you do next uh, to really make that happen? And uh, you know, what are some good resources that you mm -hmm. can make use for yourself? Yeah, for instance, if we take the example of Singapore, for instance, you can go to the Economic Development Board, and that's and it, it's super easy to build to build up a company in in Singapore. You need an accounting firm, you need an HR firm, uh, you, you can talk to, you need a lawyer, yeah. and then you can build up. But then it's super fast. Okay. And then also, um, it's advisable to make sure that it, it, you have your finances under control. And uh, sometimes it's good to have um, to have one from the head office or or, or a Westerner in the team. And then gradually, in the beginning, we had only expats, and then in the end, we had only one expat that was the regional CEO, and we built it up with uh, with local employees. Yeah. But, basically, but you need those checks and balances, especially in mainland China. They yeah. definitely need it. Why? What makes it so difficult or different? Yeah, because, you know, I mean, understanding is sometimes different, different, different. Uh, for instance, a typical example is um, this in-group versus out-group. Out and my colleague once told me that they, they, um, 
one company uh, said to the controller he should uh, he should do a new expense sheet or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then he introduced he introduced it, but only within his department and not with the rest of the of the company. Right. So it's really sometimes you really have to make sure that if you communicate something that is really that is really understood. That yeah. is. A bit more difficult. It's a bit more difficult, <laughs> but it's rewarding. It's rewarding. Also, talking you know about the legal setup, do you need to found a legal entity in the Asian markets directly from day one, or do you serve certain parts of that still with your Swiss legal entity? How do you do that setup? Uh, we we founded it uh, straight up front. Okay. Because otherwise, you have re uh, re representative offices, and then you cannot really offer services. So we found an LTD right up from that's super easy in uh, in uh, in Singapore and costs virtually nothing. <laughs> and you also do have all the administrative part like payroll, yeah. accounting, exactly. bank account, all of these details. And those those you better outsource. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you are really operationally active there in mm -hmm. Singapore, for example. Yeah. If you choose Singapore, is it then also give, does that also give you easy access to the other Asian markets? So is Singapore a good hub to start and also gives you access to the Chinese market, for example? Well, actually, um, that, that was very strange. My experience was that when you had an office in Singapore and you wanted to do business in Hong Kong, the Hong Kong customer, the Hong Kong client wanted to know exactly how many people are working for him in Hong Kong. He didn't care about Shanghai, didn't care about Singapore, how many in Hong Kong. So you know, usually need both, both, okay. both places. And if you have Hong Kong and Singapore to now you know, China, for example, or Japan, South Korea, mm -hmm. whatsoever, can you serve them with your legal entities from Hong Kong and from Singapore? Or should we go and found new legal entities in this? Well, we did, we did serve Japan uh, out, of, uh, out of Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And that was not a really clever idea because uh, in the end, the clients told us, well, listen, you get more business, but you need an, ent an entity in, 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 in Japan in Tokyo. Yeah. And that's why, we were, that's why we were in contact with a company uh, to acquire them to have a small hub in, in, in Japan as well. Got it. So yeah, it really comes down to the localization to a certain yeah, degree. Yeah. Like here in Switzerland. Do, do we want to be served from Germany? True. Yeah. <laughs> or from France? In some parts it, it, it works, but yeah. it's not the common way of doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it it, it it really depends. I mean if you're if you're a, a digital nomade, then it doesn't matter where where in the world you sit. True. But that, I mean, that's the difference, right? So there, you're just selling your services, your yep. hours or your product whatsoever, but you don't have a company with employees and maybe a stock whatsoever in exactly. the background. So. I think, you know, this might change in the future. I mean, I could very well imagine that you you could, uh, you could uh, I mean, nowadays already you can buy uh, services and products and services from all over the world. And this might change in the future because uh, I don't think that it's necessary in the long run that you build up companies in all locations. Or maybe just small setups. True. I think you know this this pandemic season, this pandemic um, situation we're having right now. It really it really changes a lot. Be it home office, be it uh, digitalization. I mean, it really changes a lot, and that could be a huge move. Right? So it would also be great to see then a positive effect of having less overhead that you need to create sure. in order to get active in these markets. Right. Definitely. Yeah. 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 So you mentioned, you know, the, the lawyers, uh, the banks that you need, the accountants, also Switzerland Global Enterprises is first support here from Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Who else do you need to really have a successful market entry in, in Asia? 
I think what is very what is very valuable is uh, uh, to work with the with for instance with the Swiss chambers, or in Hong Kong Swiss Business Association in uh, in Singapore is Swiss Cham, and Swiss Cham is also in in Beijing, uh, um, Shanghai, and a number of other Chinese places. It's really worthwhile attending their their events, attending business events, so that you gradually can build up your network. Mm-hmm. I think network is key there, really. And to build up, to find, to find out over time, whom can you really trust? And there's some, uh, I heard of horrible examples, where one Swiss, uh, Swiss entrepreneur sold a machine to a Chinese and uh, without a contract, without uh, making sure the payment is getting done, and he was not paid in the end. And then he landed on the, on the general consulate. And uh, the general consul asked, asked him, well, what, you would not never do that with, with a Swiss? Well, this person was so friendly and we had such, we had, we had, we had such a, a great, uh, great relationship of trust. Just because the Chinese was friendly doesn't mean that <laughs> trust is there. That is, is kind of, you, you're replicating the Swiss attitude to, to the Chinese and that's wrong. That's really wrong. But I, I don't say all Chinese react this way, but that was, was, that was an unlucky, unlucky yeah. example. But I think that's an important reminder to really do your homework yeah. and uh, also the paperwork in that case and to, to not, you know, lose money in the end. Yeah, and you still have to build up the relationship. I mean, in China, if you if you conclude a contract, and that's something mi- sometimes misunderstood, it's the beginning of the, of the negotiation because you develop this contract over and over again. And for us... The contract is the conclusion for the good of right? <laughs> yeah, these small little changes yeah. in mentality um, can be crucial in, yeah. in, in the business world. And who, who teaches you that? Of course, if you do it and experience it yourself, then you, you learn by doing that. But do you learn that with the Swiss hubs that you just mentioned, or where can you actually learn? Swiss hubs, yeah, exactly. We have the business hubs in uh, all over the, all, all over the place. I mean, that's that's a great example as well to to get access to. And they they then advise you to several uh, experts working in the space. So that's that's really our Swiss business hub network. That uh, that's 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 a great great institution. I think that really works well. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of benefits from them uh, in in our company. And it's also one of my my first um, entries when I, or or the or the embassies. You can also work with the embassies. You can even with the embassies. You can even do uh, try to see whether you could do events together with them. And that's especially for Swiss small to medium-sized enterprise. That's that's a really good entry point because then you have the umbrella of the embassy. Right. You have the ambassadors makes it gives presentations so on and so forth. So that's that works. Or this, as I said, the Swiss champs they do events as well. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in in Asia, I'm usually looking what what type of events are going on, and then I'm going to their luncheons or dinners or whatever. So to expand the network. I think these are like three super helpful and very practical tips that you just gave. <laughs> awesome. Let's also look at the challenges. Um, one that obviously comes to mind is the language. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't speak any language uh, that is spoken in the Asian world. Mm-hmm. So how far do you actually go uh, or get with, with English as a language? Uh, it depends. To some extent, you get uh, with young people, you get along, along well with English usually. And... Um, Otherwise, you have to work with uh, with interpreters, yeah. or you have to work on, and even better, so you have to work with people on the ground that speak both languages, and they can also be then the relay 
have a relay function to bridge those cultural gaps. Right. Is there also a difference? So, for example, in Hong Kong or Singapore, you get much further with English than in Japan or China, for example? Yeah, I mean, Hong Kong and, and, uh, and Singapore, uh, English is a no-brainer. And in, 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 uh, in mainland China, it depends a bit where you are. Okay. Yeah. Would yeah. you also recommend to try to learn the language, or is that just a game that you cannot Well, learn? I tried to learn it, <laughs> and then I gave it up again, because I think what you, if you want to learn it, you probably have to, be, have to invest a lot of time on-site. And uh, we usually say it takes you about one and a half years at least till you can more or less okay. do a decent conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and I made one of the biggest mistakes you can do, and that's something which I, I would never recommend to anybody, but me as a former translator should have known it. I thought, okay, Doris, you want to move ahead fast. So I took eight individual lessons per day. Per day? Per day. Wow. I can tell you, for two weeks, I was dead in the evening. Yes. I'm sure you slept <laughs> <And> well. <laughs> <laughs> and I continuously forgot what I learned, you know? Of course, yeah. It's too, too much. Yeah. 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 Two hours per day is enough. <laughs> Regulations are another point that can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. So what can you talk about or tell us about the, the regulations in, in the Asian markets and how to deal with them? Well, especially China is, is, is hugely difficult because they change regulations all the time and sometimes you do things the wrong way without even knowing it. Right. But then you can get in serious trouble. Yeah, you can get in very, very serious trouble. And there you have to make sure that there, there you have to make sure that you work with experts on the, on, on the ground that they help you. Because otherwise, as a foreigner, you just tap from one mistake yeah. to the next. And who could be these, these local supporters for you? Where, and where do you find them? They could be, well, they, they can be found through, through the business hubs, for instance. They could be lawyers mm -hmm. or large companies. They also hire, I think they all, large companies sometimes hire people that do Nothing else but checking all the regulations all the time because especially in the financial services market, it's highly regulated and uh, and if you do if you make mistakes there, it's then you're in, in real trouble. Mm. It's also a reputational risk for 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 the corporation. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Another point that is not directly tied to regulations, but maybe we can call it internal regulations, is the <laughs> corporate governance topic. Yeah, you mentioned the way that you set it up with having more like people from your own environment from. The, the Western world, and then you change that uh, gradually. Mm -hmm. How do you actually now ensure the corporate governance for your your companies in Asia if you're not there too often yourself? Yeah, you have to have reliable employees. <laughs> and that's, as I heard, is not the easiest thing to find. Uh, it's it's not always easy. I mean, it's 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 not that difficult, but you you have to. It's best is always I think if if you have checks and balances. Mm -hmm. So that you maybe have a European or, or Westerner in there that uh, helps with the finances or you have the CEO and that oversees the, the controlling as well. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, we, we made our mistakes as well. What, you, for example? You, you, pro you probably can. In China, you probably cannot, you cannot not make mistakes. Uh, part of the, uh, of the deal. Yeah, part <laughs> of the deal. Do you have one mistake that you can share with us just to give people a perspective? Yeah, we once had a transfer pricing problem because issue, because um, we had clients in Hong Kong, no, in Shanghai, but they wanted to have the invoices, they wanted to have the translations charged out of Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And then you have to make sure that transfer pricing is an issue. Is an issue. Yeah. And how did you then deal with that? Did you consult any 
specialist. We had some specialist and then this problem solved. <laughs> okay. But first you just did it on your own and then you ran into a, an error or exactly, a problem? Exactly, okay. exactly. <laughs> Got it. And what happened then? Did like the, the government contact you, or what happened? No, no. We in in the end we found it out by by ourselves. Okay. And could solve the problem, but the, that is an issue. Okay. Did you ever have any you know issue or contact with the Chinese government, for example? Because you know this is just the perception from the West that they can be like super strict and also mm -hmm. very defensive of of their own industries and, and companies. I think we were below the ra radar, you know, because okay. I mean that's that, that that's for the bigger guys. Right, like Google <laughs> they, and Microsoft. They go so. for the bigger guys, yeah. Got it. But they can also go to, I mean, SMEs shouldn't underestimate it. I think it's really, it's really money well spent if you if you make sure that you do things right. Yeah. And of course, uh, for instance, in Singapore, the um, the um, uh, staff regulations are really strict. In, in uh, what way? In what way? For instance, if you have to separate uh, from an employee, you really have to you ha you have to you have to prove that this person did not perform correctly. Yeah. Otherwise, you you're fined. Well, oh, fined in the sense that you have to uh, that that you have to pay a certain amount of money to the employee. Yeah, yeah that's way more strict than what we are used to from yeah. Switzerland or from yeah. the US, especially, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, expanding your business internationally to Asia, for example, is also has a, a huge personal change because you suddenly start to travel way more often <laughs> than you probably like to. So, can you also talk a bit more about you know the, the personal changes if you do take that step and then mm -hmm. move your business to Asia? What does that mean to you as a CEO, as a founder, mm -hmm. on on a very personal level? Well, I, I was really thrilled with that. But what I took care from beginning, first of all. It's advisable to see the, to know to know your own body. For instance, I'm a night owl, night person, so I usually took the overnight flight, the, the flight, the evening flights, mm -hmm. and then I landed in the afternoon in in Hong Kong or Singapore, so I could still have a meeting or a dinner with with someone and then start off the next day. Nice. What really killed me is if I had to take the lunchtime flight and then you're landing in uh, early morning, and then the day starts off again. Japan is still yeah. a problem for, from from that point of view. And uh, I think that is is one thing, and the other thing is I found it very, I, I found it excellent for me personally that I usually when I'm going to Asia I'm usually uh, going there for ten or fourteen days, mm. or when we were starting to build up the uh, Asia Pacific, I sometimes spend a month months down there, and then you can really develop something. If you're just flying in for a day for a meeting and then flying back, I mean that's that's crazy. Sure, that's totally yeah. inefficient. Uh, you also make your body crazy by all the time differences and changes. Exactly. And nowadays, I hardly, in the beginning, when I was like, it's killing you. In the beginning, the first two or three days, I really had a, uh, I, I really had a jet lag uh, at around lunchtime, mm -hmm. till I finally learned what to eat and what not to eat. So never, never <laughs> eat chocolate at lunchtime because I <laughs> sleep straight away. And, um, and uh, but after a while, after a couple of years, uh, no, uh, nowadays I can I can fly down there and I don't have a single day of jet lag. Wow, it's really body gets a cost. I don't know what's happening after the pandemic when I can fly again. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now you, you lose the practice to a certain degree, right? Exactly. So what would you recommend to people? You said like if you spend one month there, you can really build things and develop things. And mm -hmm. um, is that a better written than just going there like once a week every month? Would you say it's better to go there one full month, once a quarter, for example? 
you know, maybe people cannot spend that much time on, on, on the ground for one month, but at least for, for two weeks or so, because then if one meeting falls apart, you can probably reschedule it for another day. Yeah. And you, your body gets adjusted to the, the different time zone as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are other people that say, well, if you just go there for one or two days, your body doesn't adjust, else you're coming back and you're in the same rhythm. I used to do that for three days uh, ongoing when, I, when we built up uh, the U.S., Mm -hmm. But there is kind of different because you know you 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 kind of um, you kind of ahead of time. You just right. you just wake up early in the morning. Right. Got it. I would also like to talk a bit more about you know the differences between Europe and, and Asia mm -hmm. because you've seen both you know both markets very well. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, what can Europe learn from Asia? I think what Europe can learn from Asia is the speed. And speed and the flexibility and the agility you, you, you see in Asia. That is something we, we really can, and, and we, we have to be careful not to be, um, you know, bypassed. Because, I mean, uh, uh, I just recently was, at, uh, was listening to a virtual conference where, uh, some, where the moderator asked the, the person from, in China, well, uh, how, how can Chinese, Chinese people be uh, entrepreneurial? With this, uh, with this type of government, which is so restrictive, <laughs> and the specialists there said, I've never seen a more entrepreneurial population than the Chinese. But that's very interesting because our perception here, you know, in the West, also because of the media and so on, is really the government is so strict, there's not that much happening. But if you are actually there, you have foot on the ground, the picture looks completely different. Totally different. And I mean, what we hear in the media sometimes, it's so totally distorted. Yeah. Some of it, some of it is really good. But it depends on what type of media, right? And you know, in our in our perception, I mean, what counts most? It's it's privacy, it's data protection. In China, data protection is a is a no-brainer. I mean, Chinese even feel even feel more protected because the government is uh, is is um, has the has the oversight. And if you look at the pandemic situation right now, personally, if I could decide, I would say, well, you have to use. It's mandatory to use the, the, the tracing app, right. contact yes. tracing app. It's mandatory. I mean, our individual freedom, which we which we claim in in the West, it has its limits, and we kind of delegate the obligations to the government, and we want to have all the freedom. And in in China, you first have to pursue your obligations in order to get some freedom. Mm -hmm. It's it's totally it's totally different. And on the other hand, what do you think that Asia can learn from Europe? Well, you know, the Asians, some, not all of them, but Chinese, if you look at China, Chinese sometimes look to us a bit chaotic and unstructured. But that's, uh, and they, they probably, if they want to work with the West, they have to approach certain things a bit more structured and a bit, a bit more process oriented. But that's a totally different between those two, because on the one hand, individual societies, you have, uh, you have a vision, you have a business, you have a vision, you have a strategy, you have a Master plan, you have milestones, stuff like that, and then right. you start. And if the world changes, then you have to adapt your strategy first. The Chinese, they kind of have a vision, and they deal with it as they go along. And that looks super chaotic for, for us. But they are very much more agile and faster to, to change to uh, changing uh, circumstances. Mm -hmm. What do you think, which model is uh, more successful in the long run? Depends what angle you're looking at. If you're looking at the speed, implementation speed and things like that, the Chinese model is better. If you look at the risk fact, risk area, then the Western model is um, 
is, uh, is safer. Because, you know, if you plan and look ahead what could uh, with all the options and scenarios, you're more risk-averse, mm -hmm. uh, whereas you're more, more risk-taking uh, when you're not doing it, because they see the risk as, as, as when it comes up. <laughs> True. And that might be a bit late, yeah. depending on the risk that, that you're facing. Late, not too late. <laughs> right. Now, also comparing, as we already did a bit in the beginning, you know, the Asian ecosystem, and there I mainly also think a bit about China, you know, from the startup perspective, mm -hmm. comparing that to the American one, which is still the probably the, the number one ecosystem to go to with your startup. What do you think will happen in the future there? Do you think that the, the Asian or the Chinese ecosystem can hold a candle against the American one? Definitely. I think they already have it today. Okay. We just, we, it's just not so much known in the, in the Western world. Yeah. So do you think that this will actually change and, for example, China will become the new hotspot? It could very well be if you look at Shenzhen or the, uh, or the, um, the Chinese Silicon Valley in, in, uh, in, uh, around Beijing. Mm -hmm. What's happening there? I mean, you know, things we are thinking about, they, 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 have, they, have, they are implemented already. Right. So I think your statement is clear that Asia uh, is heavily underrated. It's heavily underrated, definitely. I mean, as a simple example, <laughs> I was in a hotel in uh, in Singapore and went uh, went to have uh, went to have breakfast, and my omelette was stopped by by a robot. <laughs> nice. It's great, yeah. isn't it? I've never seen that here. <laughs> no? no, never seen it either. No. Cool. Or in Japan, you know, robots are used in hospitals. Right. Yes. So that's. Yeah, I think especially Europe has to catch up. Yeah, yeah, we, we need to be careful that we don't get sort of stuck or lost in the middle. And that danger, I think that's probably one of the, the, the biggest dangers we, yeah. we are facing right now. So if China or Asia in general is still so underrated, um, you could also argue that this offers a lot of potential gains if you move there early, if you move there now, mm -hmm. and actually take that step and, and get mm -hmm. active in that ecosystem, do you also see it that way, or what, what's your yeah. perspective? I think as a, as, as, as a company, I would really think about uh, moving into that space because, because um, honestly, I think the U.S. is the U.S. is gone. Yeah. It still might work for with the Silicon Valley, but if if you look at the infrastructure they're having over there, at the educational system they're having over there, I mean it's it's dramatic. Absolutely. And it still wants to be the world power. Yeah. That's scary. It's a, an interesting act of balance from my perspective, because to a certain degree they should say, hey, infrastructure is working, don't like fix it if it ain't broke, or like really mm -hmm. broke, although it looks that way in mm -hmm. some parts, and somehow it's still working, but the question is probably for how long we'll continue that way. Yeah, before we see a collapse, yeah. 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 So... <laughs> Let's finish up with some last tips. Do you okay. have any last tips or recommendations for people thinking about moving their business to Asia? Well, getting educated on on on, on how to do business on, and 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 how to get uh, and, and and how to um, get some education on, on on the cultural differences. Yeah. Perfect. Really get educated before you jump onto the on the first time onto the plane. Yeah. Do your homework. Do your homework first. That's a clear message. So as a wrap-up for this episode, we prepared some rapid-fire questions. <laughs> I give you either a selection of uh, two or three choices or a short question that you can answer in one or two sentences, okay? Okay. So the first question, and I have a slight uh, like assumption what you're going to say. 
Europe, Asia, or North America? Asia. Clear choice for you, I think, after that interview. The next one is wealth or happiness? A healthy mix. A healthy mix. Nice. <laughs> we, we haven't heard that one before, so now you have to explain <laughs> why, why a healthy mix or what makes a healthy mix. I think, I think you, need, uh, you need, to some extent, you need to be able to finance your happiness as well. <laughs> True. Well, well, what would that be for you? Like, where do you finance your happiness? Well, I think you know if you if you can earn a living and uh, so that you can finance your your um, finance your day to day expenses, that's right. doesn't have to be huge wealth. Yeah. Or buying companies, you know, instead of shopping for shoes, right? <laughs> <laughs> what makes you smile? I think well well founded or well grounded humor. Nice. And what do you value more, experience or expertise? That's a tough one. I think it depends. It, dep it really depends. On, on what? There are areas where you need expertise and there are others where you, where you can muddle through with, exp with experience. Yeah. And the last one for you today, where do you go to think? In front of the fireplace. <laughs> Great. Doris, thank you so much for the insights and the valuable tips. I You're hope welcome. that more people think about expanding their business to Asia and they now know where to look for advice and support. So thank you so much for the time, for the great insights, and we wish you all the best and lots of success for the future. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. Stay connected with the Swisspreneur community through our LinkedIn and Instagram profiles. Make sure to subscribe to our show on whatever podcast platform you're using. See you next week for a brand new episode of The Swisspreneur Show.